listening to Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what's Open Mic Friday about? You can call in with any theological question on your mind, and I will attempt to answer it. The phone number is in St. Louis. Pretty simple for St. Louis. 821-0850. And toll free, and this number can also be done in St. Louis, one 800 730 And we encourage you to phone early in the program. We tend to get a number of calls near the end, and we're unable to take them. So if you've got any question at all of a theological nature, perhaps you were reading the Bible, perhaps you were reading the devotion, uh, perhaps you had a conversation with a friend of yours, and they were asking about a particular question, don't hesitate to give me a ring. In fact, I did talk to one of our listeners this week about a Bible study she was in. It was a woman's Bible study, and there were some women in the Bible study, and it was Lutheran Church, who did not believe that anybody goes to hell. And so we were giving her Bible verses to show that there are definitely a hell and people will be going to it who are faithless to God, unbelievers. Uh, for example, I, I do believe Judas went to hell because Jesus said of him it would have been better had he never been born. I don't believe Jesus would have said that about anybody who was going to heaven, that it would have been better he had never been born. And then you have all those passages where people are told that Hell is going to be in their future. Uh, One of the most famous ones, of course, is the parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats. Uh, The sheep who have faith behind their works, uh, they're going to heaven. But the goats who have unbelief behind their works, the Bible clearly says that they will suffer eternally in hell. So the idea that there isn't a heaven or a hell, and particularly not a hell, just doesn't jive with the Bible. Once the Bible says it, that settles it. Now, I'm a pastor, and therefore when I receive a question like that, I'm really looking behind the motivation of that question. And what do you think the real question somebody is asking? Since it is clear that we can't tell a lot of times individually who's going to heaven or who's going to hell, Jesus says, judge not lest you yourselves be judged. And what he's referring to is the only way we can judge is on the basis of a person's works. And so if we're going to judge somebody going to hell because of their evil works, then guess what? Nobody would be going to heaven. And so while we can judge them that they are leading a sinful life, though we can judge them that they are unrepentant of it, all you have to do is ask them, which leads to a possible excommunication if they're members of the church, we can't specifically say, unless the Bible makes it clear about someone, as they did with Judas, 
that that person is going to hell because who knows where their heart is at the moment of their death. But when somebody asks that question, it could be that they have in the back of their minds a relative, a son or a daughter or a mother or a father or a spouse or someone close to them who is not going to church. And it's really hard for them to jump to the conclusion that when they get to heaven, they're never going to see them because they went to hell. That That's really behind uh, the idea that there is no hell because it helps to satisfy our curiosity and helps to give us a comfort that you can't say anybody is going to hell. Now, that that is true, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't say who's going to hell. Remember that uh, passage in the uh, Genesis when Joseph was left with his brothers after Jacob died. The brothers thought, now he's going to get even with us. He's going to take revenge on us. And Joseph says, what? Do you think I am God? Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So Joseph We cannot bring vengeance upon someone. We leave it in the hands of God. When I used to drive for a yellow cab, we often would pick people up off the street. And one time I got robbed. Uh, A friend of mine even got put into the trunk. He didn't work for a yellow cab anymore after that. (laughs) But working for a yellow cab was more dangerous, I believe, than working for Lyft or Uber. Because you don't pick anyone up for Uber, for example, unless you see their photo on your phone, their name, and Uber knows who they are. They've got their credit card. They've got their address. So Uber is a lot safer because you're not picking up people you don't know off the street. You know who you're picking up. And by the way, I'm still surprised how many women, when I go to pick them up, they don't ask my name. The first thing you should do when you have an Uber driver is ask his name because on your phone is my name. And there's been a couple of occasions when women got in what they thought was their Uber driver and he wasn't. And some bad consequences happened after that. So knowing the name, that's just a little point that you want to make. I was out last night between 8 at night till about 2 a.m. And it was just call after call after call. And uh, my favorite call was I picked up somebody who had just come from Church's Fried Chicken. And boy, that smelled good all the way taking her home. (laughs) I thought I might get a tip, but I never did. Piece of fried chicken. Nope. (laughs) All right. So our phone number's here. You got to Question, 8210850, that's St. Louis call. Toll free, anywhere in North America, including St. Louis, 1-800-730-2727. I was quite fascinated with the um, article that Wes Reimness and I spoke about yesterday. It was about a, a Lutheran who had written why people come to church. But then he wrote another article as to why people stop from coming to church. 
And remember what his number one reason was, is people were bored. Now, I, I can understand why people get bored with, for example, in the old hymnal, it was page 5 or 15, in the new hymnal, page 136, with that liturgy, and you say it week after week, and it appears that people sometimes get bored. Are we going to do it again? Why don't we have some more excitement? Well, he had a really good antidote to that boredom. He called it discovery or rediscovery. Now, what he meant by discovery is there are people who come to a Lutheran church who are visitors. They haven't gone through confirmation. They really don't know what the liturgy is doing. And then rediscovery is people who learned about the liturgy, but then they forget about it, and they therefore get bored. So the way to get them unbored is simply, and this is a good point, to teach them the true meaning of the liturgy. And that takes place by going through various parts of the liturgy and pointing out to them what they're really talking about. Okay, we're ready to go to the phone lines right now. I'm Tom Baker, and we're going to be talking to David. Hi, David. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Baker. You're one of my favorite. Um, Thank you. Got a a little question here for you about uh, hell. I believe the Bible teaches it. Lake of Fire, I guess that's synonymous with it. Um, What what if a person in a, a Lutheran church keeps pushing that there is no hell would they would they be eventually excommunicated that's my question my policy is for example i had uh, some new members who wanted to join and they did join it was a transfer from uh, another state and once they joined i found out that the gentleman believed in evolution so what oh. i started doing i started meeting with them uh, first of all, I would not have him teach a class, like a Sunday school class, if he had that point of view. And I was really not able to convince him. But I had a, another member of the congregation, Dr. John Klotz, who was a professor at the seminary, who wrote books on this. And he met with him, and with a couple of meetings, he had him change his view. Because he was unaware of this distinction we make in evolution, the evolution. We, we do believe in evolution on a small scale, but not on a large scale where you go between species. And uh, he was involved in evolution on a small scale with bacteria and things like that. So that really satisfied him. So this is the first thing I would do. I would meet with the person. We would go over the Bible verses. And I'll bet you what I would find out, David, is that the main fear he has is he doesn't want to go to hell. And so by saying there is no hell, he thinks he's being comforted by that fact. Well, the fact is, for Christians, there is no hell because Jesus experienced it on the cross 
and therefore we have nothing to fear concerning hell as we are trusting in the promises of God. And that's how I would handle that. Right. Yeah, a little little side note. Um, Did you know that the Catholic Church believes that uh, the Earth and the universe is like billions of years old, like 13.5 billion years old? I think they believe in evolution. The Pope now has come out not only for evolution, but he's also come out for saying that uh, good Muslims, good Jews are saved. Uh, They don't have to have faith in Jesus Christ. So they've really gone bonkers in some of these areas. All you have to do is look at their new catechism the new roman catholic catechism where it teaches these items and uh i I don't understand how they get fooled by fake scientists because all you have to do is get in charge or get involved with some really good scientists like dr menton at washington university he from a proper scientific point of view shows that many of the statements of evolution are just nonsense and they're not realistic at all yeah so so the pope actually said that explicitly? oh yes yes oh yes the the pope himself believes in evolution yes huh. he he says that's the way that <clears throat> god created the world he says <clears throat> genesis isn't a book of history uh, it's a book of theology. Well, what are you going to do when you get to the New Testament and you have the historical account of Jesus on the cross? Are we going to become like some religions and say, no, he really didn't die on the cross. That was either Judas or somebody else who died. And uh, therefore, we don't have to follow the history of the Bible in the New Testament if we don't yeah. need to follow the history in the Old Testament. There's an old saying that goes, once the camel gets his nose into the tent, pretty soon anything goes. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so very much for calling. And that was David. Anybody else may call at 1-800-730-2727. Yes, uh, the reason I'm Lutheran is because as I take a look at the confessions of the Lutheran Church... They're in what's called the Book of Concord, uh, written, completed in 1580, including Luther's small and large catechism, etc. We don't worship Luther, but it just so happens that he did an accurate summary of the Bible, as did the Formula of Concord, which occurred after he died, and there were some questions. And... I tell you, the Book of Concord is just filled with the Bible again and again because that's the only evidence we have for what we believe. We dare not use reason thinking that you can reasonably convince somebody to become a Christian. That's really impossible, which gets me back to the point I was making about uh, people leaving the church because they're bored with the liturgy. Uh, What I would do with uh, folks like that, I would have specific Bible studies on the liturgy. Uh, For example, in our divine service, Setting One, we sing what's called the Gloria in Excelsis. And a lot of people may not recognize that that's actually the hymn 
the angels sang to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus. It says, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Now, I'm sure they sang that more than once. And did you ever hear from the shepherds? Well, this is getting pretty boring. Don't they have something else they can sing? No, this was not boring. Because when you understand the words of the liturgy, you are comforted, your heart becomes pleased, and above all else, your faith in Jesus grows. In fact, in this particular glory in excelsis, it continues, Lord God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father. So it actually kind of goes through the Holy Trinity. God the Father is our Lord. He's our heavenly king. And then we say, we worship you. We give you thanks. We praise you for your glory. Now, what do we give him thanks for? Well, in this case, he's regarded as the almighty God and father creator of the world. Look around you. What do you have that doesn't come from God? Now, you may think, well, I have this because I worked for it and I bought it. But when you take a look at it, it's always due to heavenly God and Father. And that's why we worship him. You can only worship God. We give him thanks and we praise him for his glory. Well, you're not waiting very long before you get to Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ only son of the father. That means he's the only begotten son. We're sons of God also, both men and women who are believers, but we are adopted sons. Only Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Lord God, and then lamb of God. Well, where's that come from? Well, that's the animal that was whose blood was put over the doorway when they were fleeing from Egypt and the angel of death passed over those houses and did not kill the oldest male, animal, or human. And he's Lamb of God because what does John the baptizer say? Behold, the Lamb of God. How can you be bored when you're hearing the Bible, even if it's every week, that's like saying, yeah, I uh, said the Lord's Prayer when I was five years old, and I'm not going to say it again because it gets boring the more you say it. I'll tell you, Martin Luther made a very good point that you need to keep reading the catechism again and again. I mean, how many new insights are you unaware of in regard to the Lord's Prayer that you will only find out about in attending a proper worship service or a Bible study. And, and the Lord's Prayer has got all kinds of things in it that you are unaware of when you first pray it. Now, we don't go very far before we hit the gospel. Right now, we were talking about the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son. Now, his work, you take away the sin of the world. I mean, how can you be bored with that? To sing it to God 
is to thank him for doing that. And then there's a response. And what's the response? Have mercy on us. In other words, Jesus does take away the sin of the world. To have mercy on us means take away our sin also. Don't give us what we deserve, eternal condemnation. And how can we know that Jesus hears us? You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Receive our prayer. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. So there in the Glory and Excelsis, you have the teaching of the Trinity before you end it. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, there's the second person of the Trinity, with the Holy Spirit, that's the third person of the Trinity, and the ending of the Gloria in Excelsis is in the glory of God the Father. Well, there's the first person of the Holy Trinity. And then we sing, Amen. So how many of you wished that, boy, it's one thing to have a Christmas celebration at home with a Christmas tree and maybe various emblems of Jesus Christ, um, maybe even uh, the stable, etc. How would you have liked to have been there with the shepherds hearing what the angels were singing? Well, guess what? You are during the worship service when the Gloria in Excelsis is sung. And that's glory to God in the highest. That's what Gloria in Excelsis means. Uh, A lot of the liturgical forms are in the Latin, and that's simply taking the first two words of the hymn in, in the Latin. That's why we call it the Gloria in Excelsis, glory in the highest, and to God. So when somebody begins to understand Wow, I am, in a sense, once more revisiting the time that the angels came. How can you be bored with that? Particularly when you hear the gift that Jesus Christ has brought to you. Namely, you take away the sin of the world. There is a uh, worship service. I don't know if Concordia Publishing House still issues it where rather than having a sermon, the entire worship is a sermon. It takes each part of the liturgy, the congregation voices it or sings it, and then the pastor explains it. And I I did that a number of times at the congregation I was at for many years. And people would always say, yeah, I didn't realize that that's where those verses were coming from. To be bored with the liturgy means, well, I went home and I saw my mom and dad at Christmas last year. I'm not going to go this year because I already did it last year. I don't want to be bored again, you know, by going so many times. No, you look forward 
to the return home at Christmas. Not only to greet your parents and the rest of the family a lot of times, but also to have that good Christmas food and then worship at those wonderful Christmas worship services. So, the liturgy is not boring. It's you who become bored because you don't realize what the liturgy is saying. That makes a huge difference. And the way to stop people from being bored is pretty simple. You help them to rediscover what they had learned during confirmation, namely that this is the word of God. And we're going to be doing that on Monday's Law and Gospel. We're going to be taking a look at the epistle reading. What's God's attitude towards you when you are faithless? You're going to be surprised. It says he remains faithful. We'll talk about it on Monday. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.